Our scripture reading this morning comes out of Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch him, even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning, one and all. Pretty excited you all are here. It's nice that the Texans have a night game because more people are here now. So that's great. Uh, Excitement at the Johnson household this week. Uh, Megan called me. And uh, said, you know, you need to take this call. And it was a FaceTime call. And so then when the, the camera came up, there was August's face, like, all over the screen. And it was his teeth, like, right in the lens. And he was like, Dad, I lost a tooth! And it's the first tooth out, actually, that hasn't been pulled by the dentist uh, at the Johnson household. So it was a big deal. It was very exciting. And... Uh, He had been babying it. Like he had been working around and eating all of his food, but Megan gave him a banana. And so he was eating the banana and said, there's a seed in my banana. 
what? There's a seed in my banana. There was not a seed in the banana. It was his tooth that had come out. So, uh, so he was really excited. So that's been the, the big excitement for our week. I have no idea what's going on in your all's weeks, but I'm thankful that whether they're, they're highs or they're lows, you are here with us here at Neartown. Uh, about two weeks ago, uh, U.S. Today columnist Tom Crattenmaker, or Crattenmacher, not really sure how to pronounce it, uh, he released a book called Confessions of a Secular Jesus Follower. Now, I have yet to actually read the book. Again, it came out on the 4th of October. Uh, he released a five-point deal on Huffington Post on their religious section, and, uh, and it said, these are the five reasons that I am a secular Jesus follower and why it has value. And, uh, well, kind of boiled down to Jesus is cool, he says some really good things, and I should listen to what he says. And I just don't like all that other stuff that's forced on Jesus, like him being God. So I think we should all still follow him. And so he puts out this book, tell everybody, you should follow Jesus, but maybe not all the way. And so I say to him, uh, is that what Jesus wanted? <laughs> is, that, is that what Jesus had in mind? When he came to earth, he was going to be a moralist. He was going to be somebody that, hey, just do like I do, um, but don't really follow what I say. It, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Uh, my buddy Seth uh, from my old church, he posted the article and he was like, uh, for your information, this is not a thing. Like, this isn't what Jesus has for us, just to be a secular Jesus follower. What did Jesus have in mind for us and him? Who is he? We're going through the Secret Jesus series, looking at the book of Mark and saying, who is Jesus? Who did Jesus actually tell us that he was? So today, Pastor Russell just read this passage. We're going to go through this passage, and we're going to say, does Jesus just want to follow his example, or is there something more? Is he something more? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so very much that we have the opportunity to open your word. Breathe peace to all of us here. Bring our minds to a place where we are going to interact and see you as you want to be seen. You are good and we trust you. In your name we pray, amen. So, uh, we are today going to be in Mark chapter 5, as Russell read from it, verses 21 through 43. Now, at this point in the story where we are in Mark, Jesus is a relatively popular fellow. Everybody wants to see him, hear him, see what he has done or is going to do. Because at this point, he's already done a few healings. He's already cast out, like in the, earlier in the chapter, he actually cast out demons from a guy. So he is doing things that people haven't seen done frequently, and people want to be around that. Now, the beauty is, when we see this, some, some parts, it's like, well, he's doing cool things and people want to be a part of the cool thing. It's like, let's go watch the good team 
while they're good and they've got a good player, I just want to see them play once. And so they may not support the team, but they like it because it's an excitement. Well, this is not that case. So Jesus is doing these things, but these are Jews. These are Jews coming to hear about this Jew. What is he doing? Oh, he's healing people. Well, that that kind of reminds me of some things I've heard growing up. So I want us to quickly go back to the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, I found three key things that are going to help us understand that Jewish audience. So the first thing is anticipation. The book Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. I'm going to read all these and they're up above so you all can follow along. You don't need to jump away from Mark Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, they were anticipating somebody coming. Well, who are they anticipating? Isaiah seven fourteen. therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. These people are watching Jesus and they're saying, they're anticipating, is God with us? We are anticipating the coming of Emmanuel. Has he come? Okay, we turn over just to the next page, Isaiah chapter 9. And it is in verses 6 and 7. Now, I know it's October. This is not a Christmas sermon. So, you are in the right place, don't worry. But Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Or on the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so in chapter 7, we see that the Israelites know these prophecies. They are anticipating that God will come. The Messiah will come. He will be with us. And on top of that, they have expectations. So anticipation, you can kind of say, is the hopeful... uh, It's a combination of of hope and uncertainty. And with expectation, they're going to read something like this into it. What are they going to expect of this king, this God coming down? What is he going to be, the mighty God, the prince of peace? He will establish his righteousness and justice with peace. He will rule. So there's an expectation that the mighty God would come down and bring peace. Well, with all of these things, there comes a desire for validation. Okay, yes, we want these things, but prove it. Prove it. So they're looking. They're looking for proof. What proof are they looking for? Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is... uh, the suffering servant section, God is speaking. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me 
to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and devastations of many generations. In verse 6, it even says, you, the followers of me, shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God, and you shall eat the wealth of the nations. In their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. There is the anticipation of God coming down, prophesied long ago, an expectation that God in the flesh, he would come to earth and he would save them. He would establish righteousness and justice. And what they looked for was a validation. If you are the Messiah, you're going to do these things. I mean, you told us that you would do these things in Isaiah. So we are expecting you to do them. Okay, so take all of that. That is in the mind of the average Jew at the time. So in the book of Mark, when we see all of these people clamoring around Jesus, it wasn't just that they wanted a cool miracle to watch. Certainly that might have part of it. But they're coming with a bit more packed into their feelings. And we can see it in the text. Verse 21 It starts off right at the outset. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. There were already people anticipating his arrival from the other side. They were excited. They wanted to see what he was going to do. They wanted to see more of who he was. They were hoping. They didn't know yet. Is this the Messiah? But they had that great, hopeful anticipation. As I was planning it, I was like, okay, what does it seem like to me? So for, all of, for everybody in the room, it seems to me like that, that feeling of anticipation when you don't have a spouse and you want one. You don't know who they are. You don't know how they're going to look, how they're going to act, But you have that hope that someday you will find that spouse. So for those of you who have married and found that person, do you remember that feeling that I I don't know? I don't know what it is. Okay, so imagine that, but in a non-love interest sort of way with Jesus. These people have this expectation. They're very excited. They have an anticipation. Is this going to be the Messiah? Let's go find out. So they run to the shore They press in around him, and they say, is this it? Well, when Jesus gets to the shore and he walks up, he encounters the second feeling. Two distinct people with expectations. And this we see in Jairus, 
And we see in the woman who is healed. Now, I said J. Iris because I researched it because when I listened to it on the ESV app, the guy kept saying J. Iris, and I was like, it's Jairus. And then I went and I researched it, and it was supposed to be J. Iris, so I sound silly, but I'm going to say it like that. So, J. Iris has this expectation, and we get to see it. Now, I say expectation because, well, we see it. We see it in him. Look at verse 22 and 23. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. Uh, It's the guy who kind of makes sure the service goes well at the local synagogue. Local synagogue is like their local church. They go there. He's in charge of the services. He may have interacted with Jesus. He may have seen him. So he at least knows who he is. He goes to Jesus, Jairus by name, and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. See, in this one moment, Jairus shows us what he believes about and what he expects from Jesus. That he's the Messiah. He believes that he is the Messiah. And if he is the Messiah, there is an expectation that he is going to heal. That he can take his daughter from the brink of death and turn her back and bring her back to life because this is what the Messiah should do. And so Jairus has that faith in Jesus. You can do this. If you are who you say you are, step in because I need you. It says, implored him, falling at his feet, begging, Jesus, you're you're my only hope here. You're all I've got. Now, the second person that we see, full of expectations, is the woman. Now, the, the story goes, there's a big crowd all around him. What do we know about this woman in the crowd? Verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and she came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Okay, so last week when I was talking about the, uh, the character, if you will, of the tax collectors and sinners, uh, we knew that they were outcasts because they had no regard for following the law. So they were kind of in a perpetual state of uncleanliness, or they were unclean. And so any Jews who were in their presence would be made unclean. This woman categorically falls not under tax collectors and sinners, but she falls under the category of unclean. Back in Leviticus, chapter 15, verse 25, it says, any woman who has a flow of blood similar to menstruation or a discharge of blood is unclean until it stops, at which point once it stops, it's then another seven days before she is clean. 
anybody who interacts with her, who touches her, who touches like a bed she sits on or a chair she sits on, they are now unclean until the evening and they need to go about to cleanse themselves. Twelve years. She's had this for 12 years. That meant for 12 solid years, she really couldn't be around people. If they were good Jews, they knew if they were in her presence and touched her, they would be made unclean. So in all effects, she is an outcast. She has no place in society. She has gone to physician after physician because she wants her life. She has certain death because she is getting worse. She knows that she is dying, but she's not going out on top. She has no community. People won't be around her. And so she hears these reports about Jesus. Well, there's this guy who's going around and healing people. He's claiming to be the Messiah. Well, what what if I go to him? What if I go to him? He is the Messiah. If he is the Messiah, then he can heal me. Then I can be restored. Then I can be renewed. And so she takes a chance. And she goes out in this crowd And she believes so much in the fact that he will be the Messiah. All I have to do is touch his clothes. If I do that, if I do just that, I will be healed. The amount of her faith is astounding. Now we're going to hold her story right there. And we're going to skip ahead because I want us to see the other aspect of Jairus' expectation Verse 35 and 36. Now, while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Even as I'm reading this, I'm feeling overcome with the emotion of the moment. You've got, you've got the, the household servants who are coming over, and they say, it's done. It's done. Don't bother him anymore. What, what more can he do? And it's not Jairus' faith to then turn to Jesus and say, well, appreciate your willingness. Jairus doesn't say a thing. Jesus steps in and says, do not fear. Only believe. You have already believed in me as the Messiah to this point to come and ask for me to heal your daughter. Because if I'm the Messiah, I can still do this. Do not fear. Only believe. He challenges Jairus' expectation and says, are you sure? Don't fear. Only believe. See, what I find fascinating about this is that 
anticipation and expectation, those fall on us. Those fall on the people of this story. They have great hopes and anticipations and expectations of Jesus. But when you talk about validation, that's on him. Validation falls on Jesus. Jesus is the one who that solely falls on his shoulders. Do not fear, only believe. What validation did Jesus have to offer? Look at verse 29. So she reaches out, she touches his garments. Verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now Jesus says, I felt power go out of me. Who touched me? Disciples say, you're crazy. There's people all around. And he said, no, I'm serious. Who touched me? So verse 33, the, mo- the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. And she told him the whole truth. The whole truth. Jesus, I, I, heard, I heard about you. I heard that you were the Messiah. I heard that you were healing people. This is my situation. And I believed that all I had to do was touch your garment. And because of who you were, I would be made well. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus validates her belief. He validates her expectation. He says, I I am that Messiah. And let me show you, you are healed. Now, certainly in the text, daughter, your faith has made you well. It could be read as this woman has this just masterful, amazing amount of faith. And we we might feel like, oh, I want to emulate that. I want to have this great faith. It's not the amount of faith that matters. It is the object of the faith. It's not the amount of faith that matters. It is the object of her faith. She places it in Jesus. She trusts that he is who he says he is and that he has the power to do this. And so she turns to him and is healed. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Well, J. Iris has watched this entire scene go down. He came to have his daughter healed. What would it be like to be J. Iris right then? To watch Jesus do what you wanted him to do for your daughter. And even though he's en route, even though he's on his way, it doesn't happen just yet. And this woman stops. Jesus stops. J. Iris says, come on, man, we got to go. Time is of the essence. And he heals this woman. And then he's told, oh, your daughter's dead. It's a gut punch. Jesus, I, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> Come on. Do not fear, only believe. They continue on to the house. Verse 38, they came into the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus saw a commotion People weeping and wailing loudly. Uh, This is pretty standard 
Uh, you'll, you'll notice anytime there's like a mention of death, there's usually people weeping and wailing. That is of the custom. People are out there, sackcloth and ashes. Sometimes people would even be hired to just wail really well so that the family could certainly understand that the loss of a person was, was known, it was felt. So weeping, wailing, already a notification of death. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Jesus, we know what the difference is between dead and alive. We know. We're not real confused. She's dead. You're kidding us. It's a joke. But see, he asked them, do not fear, only believe. And to these people, they didn't believe that of Jesus. They didn't think that of him. They didn't think he had that power. But he put them all outside, all you haters outside. And he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand He said to her, Talitha kumi. Talitha kumi. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was of 12 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. I don't want to make too much of it. The woman had the disease for 12 years. She got this disease and was on a steady track downward. This girl was 12 years old. When she came into the world, the hopes were high. Everything was great. And at the moment where the woman is healed, the girl dies. The hopes and expectations, they're gone. They're crushed. And Jesus says to her, little girl, I say to you, Arise. Death had a hold of her. She was gone. And Jesus took her from that side and said, Come back. Come back. Get up. And then she does a very normal thing. She goes and she eats. No, really, I'm alive. I eat food. This is me. Jesus came and fulfilled Jairus' expectations. He validated all that Jairus and the family had hoped that he would do. And he didn't just heal her. He didn't just heal her. He brought her back from the dead. Let's look back. Isaiah 61 again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. What one of these, as we're reading through this, which of these did Jesus do in this story? The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. What a perfect description for the woman. 
12 years of heartache sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. They were owned by death. Death was going to take the woman because of her disease. Death did take the girl because of her disease. He proclaimed liberty to them. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to comfort all those who mourn. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Establishing them. I love the phrase that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. There was great expectation of the Messiah, and they were seeking validation. And Jesus comes and he says, that's me. But he didn't just say it. He healed this woman. He set her free. He raised the girl from the dead. And he says, I am the Messiah. I am Emmanuel, God with us. I have come down into your midst to bring life, to bring healing. And I can't help but think of ourselves as we read this passage. Because I think we all have certain anticipations with Jesus. We think, okay, I have this hopeful want that Jesus is going to be my everything, that he is going to save. We, we don't know him yet, maybe. Or maybe you do have some expectations of Jesus. You've heard that he's the Messiah. And you wonder, how is he going to validate himself? I want us all to just close our eyes right now. What is it in your life that you are wanting Jesus to heal? The truth of the matter is you came here today. What brought you here? Why did you come to interact with Jesus? What were you wanting from him? What in your life Do you need to be healed? We have great anticipation of who Jesus can be. We have hopes that he will be the one who meets us where we are. And sometimes we expect things of him. But it's not that unrealistic expectation. What do you expect to see from the Messiah? What in your life, what in your heart still stands broken? And when you think of that thing, that thing that you need the Messiah to come and heal, to come and make well, bring it to him. Bring it to him. Lay it at his feet. 
Jesus has claimed to be the Messiah, God with us. Just like Jairus, who comes to believe in Jesus to heal his daughter, just like the woman who has come to believe that Jesus is the one who can save her. He stands with open arms. He wants it. Bring it to his feet. In faith and worship, bring it to Jesus. Jesus, I ask now for all of us, give us the strength and the faith to put it at your feet and to trust you. I just can't help but thinking that even though we are not the woman who came, even though we are not Jairus and the family, we too need you in unique ways. We are broken. We are busted. We need you. And there's no one else that can help us, Jesus, except for you. And so we come as a room, open hearts, open hands. Jesus, whatever you brought to mind, take it. Step in, Lord, and validate your divinity. You are our Savior, and we come to you and say, save us. You are not done working miracles, Lord. And I ask that you move in a powerful way so that as this community goes forth, we see you move. Jesus, reveal yourself in a powerful way so that this week, when somebody says, what happened Sunday? You say, well, I I met Jesus. He answered my call. Lord, I ask that this allows us to engage in your mission in Houston. You are still the God of miracles. We love you and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.